You are listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw Tua, looking. Flips it down the wide open! <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill! Unbelievable! Just flew by him for a second time. Tua knew where he was going right away. How the hit is that little man? I really hope you soon jump on his bandwagon. Waddle, waddle. To a shotgun, back to throw, looking, steps up, fires, touchdown. Okay. It's Waddle. His sixth touchdown Six pass touchdown of the game. day. Drive time with Travis Wingfield begins now. Let me check your pulse if you're not fired up. What is up, Dolphins, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, the final deep dive of the 2022 season. We'll look at the tape, the stats from the game, and instead of our usual Mike McDaniel Monday press conference, we'll have Coach and Chris Greer, who spoke to the media for their end-of-year press conference on Monday from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. This is The Draft. That's another Miami Dolphins We kick it off as we do every single Tuesday, at least for one more Tuesday, breaking down the all 22 from the Dolphins and Bills wild card round playoff game, 34-31, and it starts offensively. I don't have a ton of notes. Um, I I just don't think it really makes a lot of sense to go too deep into a game like this where, you know, you'll hear Coach and Chris talk about it later on with the the ravage injuries at certain positions. Um, You know, Mike referenced it. QB1, QB2, RB1, starting left guard, starting right guard, starting right tackle, all in different positions from where they started the season at and how much that can cause some issues and compounding variables. So I'm not going to, you know, go just ham on the offensive notes because there was a lot of things to clean up. Critical drops er uh, early, you know, some mistakes, false starts, putting you behind the chains, uh, followed by a second and 15 drop right in that kind of trio pocket to Tyreek Hill of defenders. Had that next deep ball shot pass break up to Waddle. And I thought they found their rhythm in the second quarter a little bit, but then things kind of bogged back down in that second half. We got two stops after the Sealer touchdown to put it 24-20. And man, a two-score lead there would have been great, wouldn't it have? Uh, one drive of 40-plus yards in the game. And again, like he mentioned, you know, McDaniel, the compounding variables. Some pre-snap, pre-snap stuff, some drops, some missed blocks, some a lot of misses in the passing game but also some big conversions in big spots that kept Miami in the game. And just like little things that, you know, you don't notice on the tape right away, but like the deep shot to Waddle early, the drop. Like, yeah, catch the ball, obviously. We still have a big play there. You have to make it. But, man, get it out there to him. Throw it early. There was a, a hitch up in the pocket when it was very clear nobody else was going to be closing on Waddle, and that's just been indicative of what this team has dealt with at the quarterback position since, you know, QB1 went out. It's it's hard to play uh when you don't have that same rhythm and timing and, and precision in the passing game and just it's a season of what could have been it kind of feels like watching this tape and watching games back without QB1 but we did get some really cool news on Monday about his long-term status here at the Miami Dolphins so we'll go ahead and wait to the end to hear that from Chris Greer and Mike McDaniel again I just don't have a lot of notes on this because I think we do start here though with the pass protection that I thought was really really damn good in this game I know we had a few sacks but just about all the big plays came after the initial rush kind of fizzled out and then receivers uncovered, you know, cornerbacks were not able to plaster after the schedule of the play. And we'll cover this in the stats portion of the uh, podcast here, but the three of the, three of the four sacks came from blitzes when they brought an extra man 
And, you know, that makes the offense hot, and the ball has to come out, and it didn't, like, ever. It never really did come out hot against those looks of the defense. I'm kind of surprised they didn't blitz more because, really, every play the Dolphins got was just a struggle. It was difficult to, to come by those big plays, and that's why you wind up with one drive of 40 yards. But, again, I thought the pass protection was really good because when the ball did get down the field, it was a result of, you know, what the advanced metrics community refers to as true pass sets, um, in those situations, I thought it was absolutely fantastic because they were able to create situations for Thompson to move around and get corner receivers uncovered after they had been covered back up after the initial uh, play structure was you know taken away. And we we talked about it all year long, right? Like receivers are open in this offense all the time. Well, that's that's you know maximized and compounded by the fact that the ball was there on time. Um, and it was more of the same. Waddle and Tyreek were open a lot in this game. Sherfield came open a few times. Gesicki, uh, just ball out early would, would have helped a lot. And um, it, it was all positions, man. All positions kind of contributed to the fact that the offense just did not sustain drives or put together the big plays when they had a chance to. Some of the things I thought were really cool to see was Rob Hunt's just general play out there. He looked extremely fluid at right tackle, you know, picking up games and the way he redirected coming off of a guy slanting inside and then getting depth to get back to handle the looper coming back around the outside. What a nice piece he is to have, man. A guy that played like a pro bowler all year at right guard and then kicks out and plays, for my money, the best game we got at right tackle all season long. I also really liked what Savant Ahmed provided, one of these guys we haven't talked about a whole lot this year as far as a change of pace, kind of passing game back role that he played in that game. But in order for him to maximize that role, pass pro has to be better. He got got a couple times in that regard. But I think he has a, you know, has a future in this league in terms of kind of one of those special teams, like change of pace, catch the football, explosive playmaker on offense. He's He's got a, a role in this league, I think, and I think he showed it to you in the game on Sunday. And then one of the last things I want to touch on, the little flip end around to Waddle was such a cool design, man. Like, And there was a few of those plays in the game where they created and manufactured yards by doing stuff like that. Because Smythe fakes that split flow action where he comes across the formation against you know strong side zone to that side. He splits the flow to come back and kick out that backside uh, you know, f- corner folding defender off the edge. And then he returns back to the strong side after the snap and hits a key block out front. That eye candy completely removed a Buffalo defender based upon the initial reaction from the pre-snap motion. So really cool stuff there to manufacture yards and eventually points for your offense. I'm so annoyed still by that final sequence and not for the reasons you've been talking about on Twitter and, you know, all the discussion going on. Sure, that is a big part of it. Um, but like I'm just as confused as anybody else was after watching the game back again because Waddle falls on top of a Buffalo defender on the second and 15 catch and run and he lands at the 47 and a half yard line and they give him the 46 and a half yard line like a full yard and a half back is that math right 46 yard line and then Savon Ahmed runs for a yard and a half and they only give him the one yard he also had the first down the ball's in his right hand and his right hand lands right at the 48 yard line and if you go back and watch the end zone angle his knees are up his ankles are up everything's up besides the ball hitting first right at the 48 yard line and that's where the sticks were but they ruled him down at the 47 and a half so that whole situation could have been avoided with just correct spotting of the football we asked for measurements didn't get them either you know I thought there were all kinds of misses but I'm not going to say that's the reason Miami lost this game because the DPI that wasn't called on Kasiki on fourth down that as well Miami lost this game because of poor execution but it sure as hell didn't help man 
All things told, I thought Buffalo made some key plays in big moments. Two pass breakups on deep balls to Waddle. There was there were a fraction away from being explosive plays in those situations. Same thing on the pass to Gasicki down the middle. The two drops from Jalen and Tyreek I mentioned. You know, the limited production in the running game. I think McDaniel said it best. They'll watch this game back offensively with some frustration about a couple of plays they could have made that really could have swung this game in the other direction for them. Still, great effort, fun game to watch, encouraging way to go into the offseason. But ultimately, man, like, ah, they had a chance to get that W. Speaking of encouraging, let's go ahead and just keep flowing here on the defensive uh, review. I just loved the game plan from a defensive perspective. Loved the plan against this team all year, really. We talked about turnover-worthy plays. Josh Allen's 14 interceptions were tied for second in the NFL this year, and he had the most turnover-worthy plays in the NFL this season. Playing the Dolphins three times has a lot to do with that, you know, twice in the regular season and the plans they had against him. And I mentioned all week the fumbles that they put on the ground against Miami, the potential interceptions in defenders' hands. There are a lot of reps on this tape where the shell, the intermediate shell, has those routes covered in the intermediate portion of the field. Then you've got trailing defensive backs running downfield in the hip pocket, in phase, in coverage, sometimes funneling into help. Now, you're showing the quarterback big play opportunities, and that's kind of when Allen's eyes get big, and they did in this game. He wasn't patient at all. But you're playing the percentages, right? Because it's the lowest percentage throw on the football field. A wide receiver running away from your quarterback vertically at full speed to the deepest regions of a passing grid. And with that trail defender, you know, who did such a great job of not running through receivers before the ball got there, and part of that is, you know, if I'm Josh Allen, I think I might intentionally underthrow balls because they're in such dire straits. In that defensive structure, in that defensive scheme, if you throw the ball short, then you're going to get some defensive pass interferences. And we saw it in the Patriots game. That's, that was Mac Jones' most explosive plays in those games, was throwing the ball up and throwing it short and coming back through the defensive back for the DPI. But Allen kept throwing it long against these very minimized windows. And that's minimized because of the defensive structure. So knowing that in the back of your mind, good game plan. And the more they didn't hit those shots, then the more Allen eschewed short throws well beneath that intermediate shell. And they also mix it up well where the safeties would come down and rob crossers or the potential in-breaking routes to the middle, which would put those perimeter cornerbacks on an island, but it also sped up the pass rush and they paid it off frequently in this game. Uh, the zone concepts were fantastic all game long and perhaps a sign of you know, the time this defense has now spent together, because we mentioned all year, right? Defensive backs lost seemingly on a weekly basis going all the way back to training camp. Well, over the last couple of months, aside from X not playing in the New England game, we've had most of the same group. And I would say, you know, since the second Buffalo game, we're down Eric Rowe and Elijah Campbell, and, you know, we're forced to to call on anybody and everybody to play the safety position in that game. Since then, it's mostly been the same lineups. And I thought they passed off and picked up really well and communicated their coverage responsibilities well in zone, but also in man situations with banjo calls, a term for deciphering how to react to receivers working off bunches and stacks when they're going to switch release and, you know, set those natural rubs and picks. Their banjo calls were on top of it, too. The fourth down stop on the opening drive, where Gabe Davis runs a clear-out route, and Cater just kind of runs around that pick like a pick-and-roll without getting picked off by it and shortens the window. And he, like, jumps the out route to where, before Allen throws the ball, I think he saw Cater cutting into that window because he kind of throws a lob over the top, and he missed it. It it caused an off-target throw on fourth down, and a pressure from, you know, Raekwon and Christian Wilkins helps as well. But... Man, they they ran a rub up top with Knox and Diggs, and that was even better covered. Now, I I think that there is some opportunities to play 
you know, more zone principle, or at least as far as maximizing the playmakers you have on the roster, because I thought X in those zone looks, man, I thought he played really dang well. And I'm looking around the league at guys like Patrick Peterson, who, you know, are into their thirties now and still playing good ball because of their instincts and knowledge of the game at that zone cornerback position could see X kind of having a similar late career transition and having success in that way because it puts him in more positions to hunt the football and playmake. And we saw it, the over the shoulder catch he made, that's just really good stuff where he essentially was, you know, zone turn, butt to the sideline, eyes in the quarterback, Allen puts it up. And the reason the quarterback makes that throw in that way is because he trusts that his trained receiver, a guy that does this every day in practice, is going to play it as a receiver better than the defensive back, but not when you're going up against Xavier Howard. And he made that play because of his just straight up ball skills. And I, I think if you find a way to put him in those positions more going forward, it could get back to more of a takeaway level defense, you know, five, six, seven picks for a guy that just makes plays in the ball all the time. And he won't drop as many picks next year either. So I'm curious to see how it looks, but I think some of those, those zone looks in this game might've given you an idea for how to maximize his skill set. And I also think it would free up Javon Holland to, you know, be more of a playmaker three picks this year, but he, he's got six, seven, eight pick potential in my opinion as well. Um, now, if you're going to make that switch, the linebacker coverage needs to be better uh, and just better play in general, but mostly in coverage. And we'll see what happens in that room this year because of the free agents in that room. But it's a very interesting spot on this defense uh, in the back seven, really in general, how they're going to attack it. I thought the run blitzes were also really dang good. You know, Jalen Phillips had a tackle for loss in a play where Eric Rose edge rush drew both the tight end and right tackle and allowed Phillips to get into the B gap right into his fit with a simple swipe and lateral step right en route to the ball carrier. They couldn't block uh, Jalen Phillips, man, almost a Jason Taylor. And there were multiple instances of him winning the corner, flattening, and again, the right tackle, grabbing him by the jersey and pulling him down to the ground. I generally like fewer flags, but man, that is a hold, brother. But man, JP, what a game he had, what a year he had. We'll talk more about him here on a future podcast this week. The way Christian Wilkins gets where the offense is specifically trying to prevent him to go I don't think is appreciated enough. Like, I know we all love him. The tackle numbers tell a pretty damn good story for his production at that position. But, like, there's a B-gap run where Christian is the two-eye technique, which is off the inside shoulder of your right guard in this play. And the right guard just takes a step downfield, turns his hips, and walls off that B-gap. And it's a counter look from the same side of the formation, and he just wants to wall off and basically open up a lane to let the pulling guard from the backside get up in there and wipe out the second level. And Wilkins works and works and works all the way across the frame of this guard until he's come all the way over the top of the block and gets involved in the tackle. Like you see the plays where he blows through the line with immediate penetration and gets his big run stops. But these are the types of plays that lead to 98 tackles in a season for a defensive lineman. There's a reason that's the most in the NFL by defensive lineman in 28 years because guys just don't do that. I just watched a play where Zach Sealer gets doubled, holds the fort, chucks one of the blockers aside, and then makes the play right where he started. He's ridiculous, man. The power and strength. What I said about Christian also works for Zach too, but they do it in different ways. Like Sealer uses that ultra rare length and power to push pull guys and create separation from his man. And he did it on a series, on the series of the Javon Holland pick on a cook run stuff on the first play. And I think it surprised, you know, Mitch Morse that he was able to do that because he kind of is just like, all right, I've got you. You're not getting anywhere. And Sealer just yanks him, disengages, and makes the play right there. He's an incredible player. 
Shout out to Melvin Ingram, man. That guy just made plays all year. He sped up the clock on the Xavier Howard pick with a great cross face move against Deion Dawkins. That lateral explosiveness has not quit on Mel more than a decade into it. Uh, Bradley Chubb really impacted this game. We'll hear from Chris Greer on him later. Uh, both his pass rush, uh, both with his pass rush and the attention he commands. Back to Phillips real quick. He finished the year with 77 quarterback pressures, which was fifth among all edge defenders on PFF. 33 pressures in nine games without Bradley Chubb the first eight games, and then week 17 against the Patriots in nine games with Chubb, 44 pressures. So 11 more pressures in the nine games with, and also the Green Bay game, he had just two pressures in. Remember, Bradley Chubb left that game early as well. And from the time he decides to go to the time he gets where he's going, I don't know how many people do it faster than Javon Holland. On Buffalo's first play, the one after the hold on Baker, he closes on a completion of Dawson Knox that provided some foreshadowing for plays he would make later, like that pass breakup and the interception. Just, he gets there so fast when he pulls the trigger, man. And on his pick, he cuts the window to his man completely off, then continues progressing towards the intended wide receiver and gets rewarded with a tip ball. Run to the ball and good things happen. I also omitted Eric Rowe from my notes on Sunday, and that was a mistake. What a game he had. His forced fumble was purely because he disguised his rush so well. Allen fakes the handoff, and Rowe vacates Beasley to the flat all alone, but Allen never knew he was hot, and by the time he realized it, Rowe was right on him, and Sealer as well for picking up and getting in on that. That's not lost on me either. Like Picking up the ball on the run is not easy for a big fellow like that. He does it and takes it in for the touchdown. And then finally, the way that he and Christian celebrated made me laugh out loud on the tape. It's such a great friendship between those two guys. Um, talked about Xavier Howard, the Willie Mays catch over the shoulder. What a play. Another zone drop, play the stick, squat on the double move, then get depth once you take off and play the quarterback. You know, play the quarterback in the pass opposed to the man is more takeaway level defense like we talked about earlier. Last note before my conclusion, man, you got so many Josh Allen misses in this game. I think you forced that. It's not an accident. I think you created that by the nature of mixed coverage and constant duress you put him under. All things told, I am super encouraged by what we saw the last part of the season. We'll do more big picture stuff on the next podcast this week, but I think what we saw with the rush coming together, the run defense being so solid, and the secondary finding its rhythm down the stretch while getting guys back, I think there's plenty to be excited about on this defense and on this Dolphins team as a whole. So that's your last tape review of the season. Let's go ahead and take a break. We'll come back next and do stats and snap counts before we hear from Chris Greer and Mike McDaniel. All of that ahead on the Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the wind down tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her. Each in women's petite and plus sizes. And Stafford and Mutual Weave for him. Style and comfort for all, even big and tall. Plus even more for the whole family like Levi's and Exertion. Here spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. Cruising into the second segment here on a wild card playoff round recap edition, or I should say deep dive edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Last one of these we're going to do until September 12th this year. 
230-something days away. Let's go ahead and get to the, the uh, stats from the game. Skylar Thompson throwing the football 20-plus yards down the field was 1-for-7 for 25 yards and a pick, 10-19 to 19 yard range, 5-for-12, 71 yards, a touchdown and a pick there as well. When blitzed, he was 2-for-8 on 11 dropbacks, two sacks and one scramble for 19 yards. That's two yards per pass. Uh, when he was not blitzed, 16 for 37 for 201, a touchdown and two picks. When he was pressured, three for 14 for 47 yards. Running back Savon Ahmed had the best yards per route ran in the game, 2.14. Also had 34 yards after the catch. PFF did not credit the Bills with any missed tackles in this game against the run, although Wilson had two in the passing game and Ahmed had one there as well. So three forced missed tackles on the day for Miami. Among wide receivers, Hill had just 1.53 yards per route ran. He was over three on the year and 4.93 yards per target. He was over 10 on the year. He did have 37 yards after the catch. And Waddle, who was third in the NFL in yards per route ran at 2.59, had just 0.98. He could have held that out by catching the football and 6.1 yards per target after leading the NFL over 11 yards per target this season. Pressures allowed. Teron Armstead had one. Cotton had four at left guard. Williams had one on center. Uh, Rob Jones had two, and Robert Hunt had three. But Rob Hunt did have a 97.1 pass block efficiency score, which was the best by a right tackle all year long for the Miami Dolphins. Pressures on defense. Phillips had seven. Sealer had five. Wilkins, Chubb, and Ingram all had three apiece. Riley and Roberts had two apiece, and four players had one. As far as run stops go, Phillips had six, Rowe had five, Sealer and Wilkins had three apiece, Baker had two, and six players had one in the game. Coverage snaps and yards allowed. Cater Kohu played 50 snaps in coverage and allowed 73 yards. X, 50 as well, 84 yards on him. And again, safeties are always different. So Holland, 45 coverage snaps, 19 yards. Rowe, 43 for 90 yards. They got him on a couple of big ones at Dawson Knox. And then Keon Crossan, 42 for 25. One of the better games from Crossan so far uh, as a Miami Dolphin. And then snap counts um, from the season finale here. The offensive line, they almost went wire to wire. Greg Little played five snaps in the game, replacing uh, Teron Armstead, who missed those five snaps with an injury. Uh, the quarterback went wire to wire as well, 71 snaps for him too. At receiver, Waddle and Hill gave you 85 and 83% of the snaps respectively for a couple of guys, you know, playing through some stuff. Also, Trent Sherfield, 48 snaps was good for 68%. Cedric Wilson played 21%. Craycraft played 15%. At tight end, uh, Durham Smythe, again, led the team all year long. He played 58% of the snaps. Kosicki, 39%. And Hunter Long gave you 15%. And then at running back, uh, Wilson played 38 snaps. Ahmed played 35, so almost an even split there. And then Ingold only played nine snaps. Tough to play that fullback spot with a cast on your hand. And it was, a, I think, you know, to me, it was a big difference in the Dolphins' inability to run the ball in this game compared to Week 15, not having Alec Ingold for a full, you know, full complement of health for him. Uh, on defense, Holland and Kohu and X went the distance, 74 snaps all around. Baker played 71, so he only missed three snaps in the game. Wilkins and Sealer, man, they played 140 snaps combined, 70 apiece. 95% of the snaps in the game for both of those guys. That was the same number for Eric Rowe, but doing a defensive tackle is so crazy. Uh, Phillips played 63 snaps. Crossan, again, told you about the coverage snaps. He played 53 total. Roberts played 61% of your snaps on uh, linebacker. 
Chubb only gave you 28 snaps. He's obviously fighting through that injury and trying to get back and looking forward to having him for a full offseason, full health and a full year in this defense. He played 28 snaps alongside Raekwon Davis, who played that many. Ingram also played 27 snaps in the game. Van Ginkle, 24. Riley, 16. Elijah Campbell played 14 snaps, and I thought they were good ones. I want to see more of him in the future. John Jenkins, 12. And Verone McKinley, one snap in the game. So there you go. We'll do a season-long or a season total snap counts here on the next podcast, and we'll cover a lot of uh, big-picture items I'm looking forward to talking about here. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take our last break and come back on the other side and get to the press conference from Mike McDaniel and Chris Greer on Monday, the end-of-season press conference. Tons in there. We'll talk about that next Drive Time podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. It's spring and with the weather changing and so many great things coming up like Mother's Day and the wind down tour, I definitely need a fresh spring wardrobe for every occasion. This spring, I'm looking for that perfect flowy spring dress for Mother's Day as well as replacing my everyday basics. That's what I love about JCPenney. They have so many stylish and comfortable options that I always find just what I'm looking for there. Spring is a feel good season and comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. The fashion at JCPenney is the same way. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with styles that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her. Each in women's petite and plus sizes. And Stafford and Mutual Weave for him. Style and comfort for all, even big and tall. Plus even more for the whole family like Levi's and Exertion. Here spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. Tuesday in the off-season divisional round weekend coming up. We'll find out who won between the Bucks and Cowboys later on. On Monday night, I uh, went 4-1 and one earlier in the wild card round. I missed the, uh, what game did I miss? Giants and Vikings. Um, almost missed the Dolphins and Bills, too. Would have loved that one. Let's go ahead and go to Chris Greer and Mike McDaniel. You can find this entire interview or press conference up on the team YouTube channel. The first question was about Byron Jones and, you know, Chris Greer told us that he worked hard. Um, it just didn't work out. Trainers and doctors, everybody involved attempted their best to get him back on the field. Um, he didn't commit to long-term processes because the Dolphins are just now starting to go through that. And you'll hear from Mike McDaniel later on talking about how this team is not going to make decisions emotionally. So that requires a process to play out. So they'll go through that. So that was the first part of the press conference. Next, Chris Greer talked about, was this a successful season? Let's go ahead and go to the Miami GM. I would say successful, um, but at the end of the day, every team's looking, <laughs> you know, the, all 32 teams are trying to get to that ultimate goal. But it was successful. I would say not satisfied. You know, um, I think um, to watch the guys compete yesterday, knowing with the, the injuries we had, um, we played the the team t- uh, three times: Buffalo and what Coach McDermott, Brandon Bean, and those guys have done is tremendous. Of great respect for them, and told them that after the game. And um, for our guys to go up there in that environment, and most of that roster hadn't been in a playoff environment before, and go down 17 and not blink and come back and fight and get into it and have a chance late in the game to, you know, tie it up or potentially win. Uh, very excited. You know, we're disappointed we lost, um, but very excited. So I would say, yes, it was a successful season. Up next, a question I'm sure everybody was looking forward to hearing and an answer I think you'll all love as well. Coach was, or I rather, Chris was asked about the thinking and the projection long-term for Tua Tungavailoa. Here's Chris Greer on Dolphins quarterback, Tua Tungavailoa. Yeah, I would say with Tua, he's our starting quarterback. So, uh, you know, I don't 
know how we could say it any more clearly that we've been that way um, through this season and what he's done and um, what Mike and Tua, um, Bevel, Chandler, the coaching staff have all done. They've all worked tremendously hard, all of them together. So, um, you know, Tua's, we anticipate him, worked with, talking with the doctors and consultants and everyone we've dealt with. Uh, we fully expect him back next year, 100% ready to go. And then uh, we'll get through all those decisions you know, like I said, just like we talked about every player on the roster. And obviously I understand because it's Tua, and that's why the question's being asked. But uh, we'll go through our process, but he is our starting quarterback and will be next season. More on Tua and the concussion uh, injuries this season and what it will look like coming back to play in the spring and mini camps and all that stuff. Here's Mike McDaniel talking about what goes into the decision to get Tua back onto the football field. Absolutely. That's something that's driven by the doctors that, um, you know, the, those are the things that, you know they're the experts in those fields, um, and you know when they when they tell us that he's ready to play, um, and as we expect, they they tell us that he's ready to play um, coming in the spring or whatever. Then we'll um, you know press forward in that direction. I appreciate the phrasing of this next question because the reporter admitted I'm a couple of credits short of my MD, but one of the things I read was the susceptibility to more concussions after having ones earlier. Here's Chris Greer addressing that statement. True or false? Well, I think from what our doctors and the consultants we've talked to through the NFLPA, that is not a true statement. So uh, for us, um, I don't think he's any more prone than anyone else. So um, for us, we're just going through and letting the doctors and the medical staff and um, the people in the <laughs> in that field, like you said, that know a lot more. But um, from everything we've been told, that is not a concern. Yeah, specifically, the, these are the doctors that are working with him directly and individually, as opposed to a generalization. You know, what about Tua's helmet and the way he falls to the ground when being tackled? Both addressed here by Greer and McDaniel. Well, what's interesting is that his helmet is one of the higher-rated helmets. It's like in the top two or three, I think, in terms from the NFL rating. So it's, it's uh, I believe it was, I think, three or two, if I'm wrong. You can check it. But it's in the top for um, helmet safety. So uh, I think with every player, that's a choice that they make because they all like the comfort feel and whatever. But um, I think those will be discussions that he'll have with all of us equipment doctors and stuff but it is um, a, a very safe helmet in terms of how the NFL is rated helmets yeah and with regard to uh, our, our plan is kind of approach it like you do a young quarterback who's um, not used to sliding um, you know we have, we have ideas and thoughts on how to um, you know help him because that, that, that is a consistency that, that we've noticed as well is that they're ground-induced. So we're, like everything else, do everything in our power to um, help coach him, and that's a, a new way to um, attempt to coach. On the three takeaways piece up on MiamiDolphins.com, I wrote about Miami's defense over the final three weeks of the season and into the wild card round and their metrics and, and really where they stood was tops of the league. Um, Coach was asked about the defensive performance, how he felt about the season as a whole. Here's McDaniel on his defensive performance this season. Um, I was very, very proud of the the defense, um, the coaching staff, and the players um, on how uh, on the specifically the very end of the season. Um, I think the last uh, uh, three regular season games, um, they uh, in 
in a place of adversity, they they found their their best self, I think, um, and then uh, I couldn't be prouder of yesterday specifically. Um, with you know, you're talking about uh, seven sacks and turnovers, and um, you know, just really aggressive play. So very very proud of um, the the way the defense finished the season. Next, McDaniel was asked about what he learned from his rookie season as a head coach. He first started off by kind of saying. Phew, and looked at his watch, like how much time you got. He's always wanted to give us a good joke to start off, but he gives the answer right after that. Here he is. No, there's a, there's a lot to learn each and every game, just each and every experience. Um, you know, I I didn't I I didn't really realize how rewarding a lot of things would be. Um, I didn't realize how. Uh, you know, certain things not going your way would keep you up quite as late at night. Um, and uh, I think all in all, I, I think that's kind of the nature of how you, how I've learned to try to attack each and every year um, and anything you do is find more to learn from than um, the average Joe. So that doesn't change in this seat by any stretch. There's new things that happen every day. Um, I'm excited to have a little uh, experience with handling each and every one of them. Although I've thought about it, it's a different thing to, um, you know, really attack it. And then, um, you know, the you learn that um, you are only as good as everyone you work with. I think I thought about that going into it. Um, that was a principle and philosophy of mine, but truly living it, you can't, um, you just rely on a lot of people, uh, deciding to go in one direction and, um, that, that is, uh, it's a humbling experience, but it's also very validating and reinforces what the position truly is, is that you are, um, a, a service to, uh, a lot of people that, are trying all to do the same thing and and trying to orchestrate that is is not easy but it sure is worth it they're both asked about contract situations of players coming up that includes christian wilkins and tua tunga vailoa mike is plenty of stuff uh not a lot of commitment to either answer either way there so not going to play it here on the podcast but they did talk about christian wilkins and how important of a player he is here's a story chris greer told about christian wilkins and his crazy workout routines and how committed he is to the craft Here's Chris Greer on Christian Wilkins. Yeah, Christian's had uh, back-to-back really good years for us. Um, everything he's done on and off the field. Uh, last week, uh, was it Wednesday or Thursday? Thursday. Thursday. <laughs> Thursday. I'll never forget it. Um, he's in my office talking, and it's about Me. 6.45. And all of a sudden, he goes, what is that? And it's dark, and the lights are on the field. And um, we see someone working out like, who is it and he, so he flashed the laser pointer on he looks up and it's Christian out there by himself at 645 in the dark doing drills to work so that's just the type of person he is and how much he loves this game and the leadership role that Mike and the players have empowered him in and um, so for us yeah it'll be important to talk to him and work with him and, and, and keep him here because he's been a big part he was uh, one of the first guys here and you know through this and you know we talked about that after the Jets game. He and I, we hugged after he does his usual jump trying to knock me over and hurt my ACL. Classic. But um, we talked about that. He'd been through a lot of stuff and how happy he was to get a chance to go to the playoffs. 
Next, McDaniels asked about the clock management end-of-game situation. Here's the Miami head coach. No, you know, I always think about – so so think about it this way. So there's, I think, in the regular season, offensively, there was 1,084 plays. Okay. Um, it's like kind of a baseball player. A lot of them don't work with everyone intending to work. So there's a lot of constructive – criticism that that I put on myself first and foremost um you know bottom line is is when the moment in the biggest moment we weren't able to execute there was compounding variables to that um things that you can't really change in hindsight um you know there are some things that as uh as I mentioned before that I was working out um that need to work out with the staff but also you know it's Bottom line is, I need to work it out with the staff. So, um, if if it became a problem in in crunch time, um, you know that's ultimately my um, my responsibility. Um, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily for a lack of I um, lack of direction. It was more uh, just really working on the nuances of communication, which starts with me. But that you know. Um, that, that being said, I, th- I think that that's the most important thing that I took from it. Um, I, don't think, I don't think it helped the situation to have a, um, uh, the, the rookie quarterback in a second start with a new starting running back, a new le- starting left guard, a new right guard, and a new starting right tackle. Um, all of those things hurt communication, probably, um, you know, the, the way I look at things is in hindsight, you learn that um, that many uh, new players in, in one game, um, ha- you have to be uh, mindful of that when you're building a plan with a lot of communication. So um, all things you learn from it. Uh, I, w- I was proud of the guys, for um, really proud of the entire team uh, for allowing us to be in that situation. And because of that, um, there's a lot of young players that really um, can understand the gravity of how you operate in the spring, how how you operate um, in training camp. All of it matters because you're building for those moments where um, you don't want uh, a time issue to be um, the reason why you're having to watch the rest of the postseason um, from your home. At first, I was going to just play this next audio bit for you when he was asked, Chris Greer, about Miami's impending free agents at linebackers. Will they address those needs uh, aggressively? And will they have the financial capital to make it happen? And he talked about the flexibility they have and how they work to maintain that flexibility. But he also went into something about Bradley Chubb here and the analytics of the, they, that he helped or that he provided, that he had good returns in those numbers that they really value around here. Let's go ahead and just play the entire answer here from Chris Greer. Yeah, we, we always have flexibility, and we've done a lot of work to make sure we've maintained that. So um, what it is right now is not what it will be at the start of the season. So, um, you know, for us, well, like I said, we're going to keep going through a prog- uh, process here of evaluating everything. So um, I think guys, especially the defense, second half of the year played really well. You know, we were just talking about when Bradley came on, you know, our analytics, we just ran a study for us and we moved into like the top 10 of a top eight of a, like six of our 
like 12 metrics we really the value for defense um just his impact coming in so um and that's running past i know everyone likes to look at everything but he's in then on the exit meetings today some of the defensive guys were talking about how cool he was and what a good guy and work ethic toughness leadership so um i think with all that we look at it all you know landon roberts did a nice job showing leadership you know baker duke all those guys um channing we're excited for his future in terms of development, which we kind of expected that this year, that it would be more of a special teams guy. And um, so I think where we are, and Sam did a nice job on special teams. I don't want to leave anyone out, but we're going to, that a position, because I know you're asking because there are a lot of free agents in that position, but um, we'll just keep doing our work and, and filling the holes like we always do. Go back to Chris Creer here. He was asked about injuries this season and how much of an impact it took on the team. And will you consider players' injury histories more? I don't think you don't do that. Uh, when making acquisitions this offseason, here's the Miami GM. I think you can't be scared of stuff. I mean, you know, talk about, you know, Teron was a Pro Bowl left tackle, the impact he did, you know, with us um, in terms of leadership and what he did was on the field for us. Raheem, another guy people talked about being hurt, had a career year and everything he had done in terms of leadership and stuff again. And so, I mean, if, if you're scared to, like Bradley, again, Chubb was another one people said, you know, had, but they're good players. They're the right type of people you bring into a building for a young team to help impact. And it's far reaching than, you know, they miss a game or two here, which you never hope they do. Um, but injuries happen as football. I mean, it's, as I told you guys before, my dad drafted Curtis Martin. Curtis Martin never finished a game in his college career, and everyone said it was a mistake. And then the guy never missed a game in his career. So. I wouldn't want to be the GM that took Frank Gore off my board. Had to keep that last bit. And then let's go ahead and finish up with this coach, this coach, this question I had for coach about offensive continuity. He took it to the offensive line, talking about how important it is to have that second year in the system. Here's Mike McDaniel. Uh, I mean, it, it is really the, the, the nuts and bolts of execution, understanding the foundational movement and prioritizing um, every single uh really inch that you uh that you approach how you block people you know those those things the game of inches is a is a uh cliche for a reason and you know part of the philosophy of the offense is very specific in in how you attack and um try to enter into your blocks on the other side of the line of scrimmage that is also in conflict to a lot of things that have been deliberately trained for an extended period of time. Bottom line is, to undo that, um, it's one thing in practice. Uh, I think that they did a phenomenal job of that, and, for, and more often than not, they did. It was it applied to the game, but there is times that you know you just go to um, a, I don't know a muscle memory of sorts that you can um, play out of. Uh, out of your drill work that reverts to things that you've done in the past and that type of disconnect um, if you have two linemen on different levels um, I'll tell you one thing a D lineman or a linebacker is not getting blocked so you have to be in concert it's an extremely important and very beneficial um, in this type of system uh, in, in year two specifically to really um, have that year one groundwork um, prove great dividends in year two. 
Alrighty, there you have it. Long, long podcast here because of that long media availability. We didn't play at all. Go ahead and check out the YouTube channel if you want to see this interview in its entirety. I thought I did a good job recapping the important stuff, the meaty stuff there. But of course, uh, the diehards out there, I'm sure you want to hear the entire thing. Again, the team YouTube channel is where you can find that. In the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify. Leave us a rating, leave us a review wherever you get your podcast from, uh, especially now in the off season. Love to hear from you guys more and more. We'll read those on the podcast over the course of the spring and summer as well give me a follow on twitter at wingfield nfl follow the team at miami dolphins check out the fish tank podcast our twitter spaces show back on wednesday night at eight o'clock also all the international podcasts here in the network and last but not least the youtube channel for media availabilities and dolphins today and miamidolphins.com the three takeaways piece up live right now fins up caroline and cameron daddy's coming home did i forget my own script i sure did